Stacking them deep, selling them cheap. That tastes like gasoline, rubber, and victory. We're just out here stacking pennies. All right, guys, Richmond week, stacking pennies. Here we go. I'm joined by my good friend, Mr. Chuck Bush. Hello. Mr. Ice Cold, Blue Mountain takes Jonathan Merriman. How you doing? I'm okay. And uh, I'm a good friend, front tire changer, pit road boats and wheels analyst, Mr. Ryan Flores. Good to see you. All right, guys. It was a good week to drive a JGR car because they had to finish one, two, three, four. I think, I mean, I didn't get to see much. I didn't get to watch it back because I'll be honest, Chuck, my race and fun meter was pegged because we just did not have a good race car on Saturday night. I hit the commitment cone, so we did a pass-through, and then I sped by 0.02 miles per hour on one. So I did not do a good job behind the wheel, nor did we bring a strong Camaro to fight with. So I didn't even want to go back and watch one highlight of the race, to be honest. So, Chuck, how was the race? Tell me. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I think Merriman might be a better uh, gauge of what the race was like because I was out in the woods all weekend and have only watched the highlights. My phone was off and in the car from like Friday afternoon. So Merriman, how was it? Oh, ice cold takes got a hot take today. No, 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 no. Don't just breeze over what were you doing out in the woods. What were you doing out in the woods this week? I was at a Civil War reenactment, and, uh, you know, we were digging trenches and uh, probing the enemy and, uh, you know, doing all kinds of fun stuff. What do you eat out there? We had uh, some side meat, some flour, and coffee, a little bit of molasses and vinegar. The side meat tasted like Christmas uh, ham. It was smoked. What's the difference between side meat and front meat? Mm, uh, fat. <laughs> a little bit of fat. <laughs> Definitely don't want rear mirror. No. Yeah, no. <laughs> a, a good rump is uh, nice every once in a while. You know, rump roast. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Okay. I That's quit. enough about Civil War reenactment. Yeah. Your mustache does look very Civil War. We can get to that later on in the show, but I think we should hit the fans with a little bit of racing off the top so they're not like, geez, we got to listen to this guy in the mustache. Fair enough. Fair enough. Let's talk about Richmond because I'll just say for my two cents, it was not very exciting. I mean, it was long green run, which we've tended to see at Richmond over the past couple of years. Now, there are some races, i.e. the Daytona 500, the Southern 500, the Coke 600, that deserve to have a little bit of length to them. Richmond is not that race. That race could be cut in half, and you wouldn't know the difference. So, Merriman, give us the cliff notes of Saturday night. Well, look, that place... I don't. They didn't put anything on it. I think they put PJ one on it before trying to work things in. That they didn't do that this weekend. But I agree with you. It could be a little bit shorter. But my gripe is, which I thought the racing was good all night long. It, it was no different than what I saw at Darlington or Nashville, minus you know people wrecking. But you had to manage the track. People talk about all the time, like, make the tires matter again. Well, guess what? The tires mattered again. There was some strategy to be had. Restarts. From the jump of the race, the restarts mattered. So you had to do everything right in order to be successful, unless you're Martin Truex Jr. and Kyle Larson, that can just drive from the back to the front in one stage. No big deal. But I thought the race was good. I mean, we had the 9 and the 18 had some issues there on pit road. It was a classic Richmond race. Ryan asked me yesterday when he called me on the phone asking how my day went. Uh, I didn't give myself ringing reviews. But he asked why the action track, quote unquote, doesn't present the action that we all have been used to expecting, right? Remember when you can go back and look at 
Dale Jr. and Kyle Busch, right, get into each other. You can go f- so far back as Kevin Harvick, Ricky Rudd, when Harvick's standing on top of his hood. Like, that's the stuff that I remember growing up. And I'm trying to figure out why the cars aren't running into each other or crashing as often. And I've come up with this. When the track is as slick as it currently is, because after about eight laps, you can barely get wide open on the front straightaway. Uh, you can lay black marks down, half it in the back straightaway if you want to. So I think that your car is on top of the racetrack and you're slipping, sliding around. So therefore, you don't get those moments where you try to stuff it in there underneath somebody and try to take a little bit of space away because your car is already on the edge of grip. The taboo word, repave, you know, let's, let's not say it, but if it were to be repaved, and the, the speed at Richmond picks up another two seconds. That's when you see some guys back in the fence because guys get in their left rear. But right now, the, the action track is so slick and wore out, which it's fun to drive when you got a good car. It just doesn't promote side-by-side racing for a long period of time anymore. Do you think if they ran it during the day and the track got even hotter and slicker, it would do anything better or worse? There would be more comers and goers just because the track temp would be up, right? You'd be able to move around, find grip more so than the one-lane racetrack that we saw on Saturday night. You know, you can get up there and, and use that second lane, sometimes even third lane. A couple of years ago, we saw up against the fence uh, once the tires really started going away there. And that's why you saw a lot of guys driving right down the middle of the front straightaway or even lower than that, probably you know, 15, 20 feet off the wall, you're trying to find some asphalt that doesn't have rubber laid down so you can get a little bit of traction. So, you know, Richmond is just probably one of the most worn out tracks we go to now. As much as the drivers love slipping, sliding around, as much as the fans want to see guys, you know, elbows up, wheeling it, it doesn't visually produce the best racing. But I think you have to have both in the schedule. And there's certainly a place for both. Ryan, what did you think of, of it uh, last night? So I'll start with a question, and then I'll give you my kind of assessment of it. Would, would it be better? Obviously, you point right at, like, repave, right? It would obviously fix it. But then in a couple of years, you're back into the same place. Next year, we'll be going with, you know, 550 horsepower. Would that be a place where the 550 package would be a better suit for that racetrack with the tire, with the grip level of the track? I feel like that is a race. When I go there during the day, you know, it doesn't really do much for me, but that's a night race that those cars at that track under the lights, like that's the way Richmond I feel like is supposed to be. But would a 550 package help there or hurt? How dare you bring up the dreaded 550 package? Hey man, you're sitting here bitching about the racing. I'm just trying to help you out. I'm not bitching about the racing. I'm being the devil's advocate. <laughs> you are wanting to give us, take power away and give us more downforce. How dare you open your mouth? You just said you can't even get down back to the gas down the straightaway. I'm trying to help you out being a friend here that is true but and i don't think to that point that giving us another 150 horsepower on top of what we have now would be the difference of making it better the cars are low to the ground the cars are generally going relatively unless you drive a gibbs car the same speed so you know who you sound like today who a nascar fan you just ain't happy about a damn thing. He is not happy about <laughs> nothing. No, you can't. You can't make me happy. Can't make me happy about one thing. I don't know what I want. He ran the top fifteen for three weeks. He was getting stage points. He got comfortable. Went there, had a bad race. He's pissed off and fired the hell up. NASCAR's fault. That's who's <laughs> run like broke. So before we go too far, uh, we talked uh, offline last week about a certain other podcast that may have said. Denny Hamlin, who's really successful at Richmond and NASCAR in general, wasn't a Hall of Famer. Did we get that right? That's what they said. One person said that. Hey, it's my teammate, guys. He's my teammate. I'm not going to name names, but TJ Major said that. <laughs> and that, I mean, I thought you got some ice cold takes, Merriman, but 
That is the chilliest. I'm looking like Nassau Bahamas compared to that thing. I'm uh, I'm subtropical you compared are. to that take. Uh, because, you know, Denny and I have had our beef, but which is now squashed. The hatch is now buried. But even in the thick of any sort of beef anybody has, you can't deny that Denny Hamlin is a Hall of Fame race car driver with the stats he has. I'm not exactly sure. He's got 47, 8, I don't know. Something. 45 wins. 45 wins. I mean, you know, he's got every statistical category – checked minus the big championship trophy now which you could even make a case now you only have to win one race anymore to be a champion so just because he hasn't won the last race of the season does not mean he's not a a hall of fame guy he has an xfinity title though doesn't he no i mean his his name is 18th on that all-time wins list and if you look at the names that are right around him you've got in 21st tim flock 20th mark martin 19th, Bill Elliott, 17th, Buck Baker, 16th, Herb Thomas, 15th, Tony Stewart. You know what all of those drivers that I just named have in common? They got the blue jackets. They all have blue jackets. They are all in the Hall of Fame. There's another guy at 22nd, Matt Kenseth, who doesn't have that Hall of Fame next to his name yet. Great debate. Great debate. But he's a champion, so he's he's a lock. Like, Kenseth's the lock. Who deserves to go in first? Now, granted, Matt's going to go in first because he has been retired for, I don't know, a couple years now. Like, if you could only pick one, Matt Kenseth or Denny Hamlin, who goes in? Kenseth. I pick Kenseth. Right now. Right now, Kenseth. Who do you pick? I pick Kenseth, too. He's a champion. I mean, he is a NASCAR champion. You know, Kenseth's body of work is done where Denny's isn't, you know? Yeah. So who knows what Denny does for the next five, ten years. Right. Ten. Ten. I mean, Denny's footprint on the sport's pretty big too. He's a team owner right. now, so he could do a lot more. You know, where Kenseth, when he was done, he's done. Denny's going to be around for a long time, so he, that's got to that's got to factor in. Do you leave the sport a better place than where you found it? And that's that's sort of like the Dale Earnhardt Jr. argument. Like, never won a championship, but he's in the Hall of Fame because of what he has done for the sport. Denny Hamlin, uh, same. No, uh, uh, he's a two-time NASCAR champion in the Xfinity Series. So then, which why is the- Randy LaJoy not in the Hall of Fame? Hello. That was my point, but, I mean, you know, uh, Big Rand doesn't have 26 cup wins either or most popular cup driver trophies, but let's not short the man. Two Daytona 500 wins and two Xfinity Series championships significantly up Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s credentials. He is a champion in a national series. Now, what he was not this weekend was a contender in the bush race besides running into every Tom, Dick, and Harry he was racing around, especially Josh Williams. And, you know, hey, newsflash, it's hard to come off the couch and and race against these guys, even in the minor leagues. So I could have swore that that eight car would have rolled out the lift gate of that hauler and rolled right to the grid. And I'm sure it had some tomfoolery there to keep the old Dale Jr. hot rod going. Not saying that that stuff happens. Not saying that stuff happens, but, you know, Dale Jr. And um, he was just kind of mired back in traffic, couldn't get any track position, and, and, and you know, aggravated some guys along the way. So I like to see old, old Junebug ruffle some feathers on a, on a Sunday afternoon and come out and have some fun. I probably haven't told you guys in the show about my, my Dale Jr. story, have I? No. Oh, it's a good one. I don't know if I've told anybody this beyond a couple close friends, but – when did Dale Jr. retire? When they partied in the front stretch on Pitt Road and they all were drinking Budweiser? Six, 17? I don't know. Whatever year. It was it was. 17 or 18, yeah. Yeah. And he had the, you know, he had the Budweiser car, 88 with the black stripes on the side. Great photo of him and Kenseth 
Yeah, I was driving for BK, I believe, at the time. And I was like no less than six laps down on speed, just racing all day. And we're kind of going, and Junior's like 10 cars back for like the last 10 laps. He's maybe 14, somewhere in there. And I just got to thinking with like three to go. I'm like, like I'm going to let Dale Jr. pass me on the last lap. So I'm the last car Dale Jr. ever passes in a NASCAR Cup Series race. And I debated and I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to lay over. And I said, what? I'm 32nd place. When they ask a Buffalo Wild Wings trivia question, who was the last car on track Dale Jr. passed? It's going to be me, by God. So get into three. I run the bottom. Junior was running the top. And we come to the line. He beat me by about three or four feet. So I am the last car that Dale Jr. passed in a cup race. Now, not in the one Xfinity race, but the one that matters, I'm the last guy I passed. Would have been real memorable if you stuffed him in the fence right at the start finish line. Just hooked him. <laughs> <laughs> Happy retirement. Yeah, I believe I'd still – I wouldn't have this podcast, nor would I be welding seats every week uh, with, with looking for something to do. But, yeah, that's my Corey story-ish was – yeah, in a, in a tribute question. Another solid out of the junior motorsports camp. Noah Gregson's on a little bit of a roll. Won Darlington last week, backs it up with a Richmond win. Old Noah Gregson, he might be making a little bit of a push for the playoffs here. Hasn't been much of a contender all year, but he might be making a little bit deep of a run, racking up some playoff points to get him into the, I don't know, maybe try to be a, a Final Four guy in Phoenix. He took a lot of flack when they announced his contract extension. Why? Because he hadn't performed this year. People said he hadn't performed this year, but yet he won like $300,000 by banking Dash for Cash. Do do people not know like how it works or like... People irritate me, right? Because to, to our point earlier about NASCAR fans not knowing what they want, you got a seven-time champion in Jimmy Johnson that people think is too vanilla, too boring, this, that, and the other. You, you know, you don't know what you got till it's gone now, right? And then Noah Gregson's the absolute opposite side of that coin. That that kid's like a warhead. He's uh, he's super sour sometimes, and and you love him the next. So I think it's a good thing. I think Noah's Noah's good for the Xfinity series. I mean, you gotta you gotta embrace the good with the bad because it's all it's all in what you get. And he throws hands. I'm all about that. He is not scared. Now, a little bit of a liability if you're the guy, you know, owning his cars, maybe. When he's going uh, toe-to-toe with somebody every three weeks there, he got on a little bit of a run, you know. He was wanting to protect himself or stand up for himself, whatever it was. But uh, he's had a couple good weeks back-to-back. I'll be honest, I haven't really kept up with Xfinity Series contenders. Justin Haley's a teammate of mine on the cup side. Obviously, I'll watch him, check out with him, and, and talk to him on a Sunday morning to see, you know, what the track did through his car and his, his setup. But generally speaking, I'm not up to snuff on my Xfinity knowledge. But I would say Noah Gregson's looking pretty good. One last two. I don't know much more beyond that. I got a good one for Noah this week. We, we flew on the same plane there, the Xfinity plane, and when we got off, he was walking with, like, uh, Brandon, you know, Muffy and his, his PR girl, Kristen, there. And we were in our minivan leaving, and this is, like, typical Noah, right? Like they were walking across the street at the Richmond airport and we were kind of going slow and I just kind of swerved at him, maybe doing like three mile an hour. And he like jumped on the hood of the minivan. <laughs> like we were stopped, he like jumped on the hood of the minivan, like rolled off, acted like he was going to call the insurance company the whole time. It's like a big theatrical, just a show that went on like two minutes longer when it got awkward. And it was funny as hell. We were all laughing, but his PR girl, Chris, in there, she just like stood there without a smile on her face. Like, I deal with this shit every day. Every day. <laughs> this is my life. So that is that is Noah in a nutshell. 
we had two races on Saturday, and Truex wins the second one. And yeah, for someone who wasn't there, it's twenty year twenty year anniversary of nine eleven. Just what was that day like? What was the pre race stuff like? I mean, I heard you know Truex when he got out of the car, like first thing that he's asked and the first thing he talks about it, like it's bigger than this today. Today was not about us. It's about what happened twenty years ago. What was the the atmosphere like? What was the pre race stuff like? Uh, just talk us through that day a little bit, dude. It was cool. Now, um, and I tweeted something in the morning, like you know, the national anthem usually hits pretty hard, and I can get the goosebumps every single Sunday afternoon when I hear it. But you just knew going in that that flyover and all of the fans in the stands with American flags, it was going to be on another level. And it delivered. You know, we had the national anthem and the invocation for the Xfinity Series race. And that runs, but once the fans start piling in, which it was, I don't know, capacity, but it was a lot. Uh, it looked like that there was more fans at Richmond than I've seen there in a long time. And then we do the, you know, the pace lap with the fire truck and the police cars and the whole bit. And hopefully my bit makes radioactive, which I doubt it will. But I think I said, I was like, man, if this don't make you proud of being American, ain't nothing will. Uh, so we're just get to run some, NAS cars around a NAS track on a Saturday night, 20th anniversary of September 11th. So yeah, it was, uh, you know, once, once the green comes out and you're locked in, you don't, you don't really get too emotional or tied to what the day is. You're just focused on the job at hand, but afterwards, and you see all the American flags and just the patriotism that our fan base delivers, they delivered each and every week, but they, they showed out on Saturday night and it was cool that, uh, Richmond really embraced it as well. For one, there's a couple of things. I love seeing fans back to racetrack. I think we all could attest to that. I like seeing no capacity limits, bring them all out. I can't wait to hear how rowdy the fans are going to be this weekend coming up at Bristol. Pick the Bristol walkout song, which we'll talk about later in the show, because I want to get what y'all's walkout song would be if y'all got to choose one. So think about that. I think really my points just boil down to the fans, how great they are and how pumped up I was to be out there putting on my version of the show on Saturday night. I go back to kind of what we were talking about before about Richmond being a good race or not, right? And we'll touch on this in boats and woes a little bit, but you look at the Xfinity race, right? And it came down to tire strategy. You only had three sets laying. We actually came back in and put a set of 15 lap old tires on because we had stayed out and we just kind of got ate up. But you look at that cup race, just watching it, it might not be sexy. Like there wasn't like wrecks and there wasn't a bunch of passes for the lead, but there you had to have a complete day from your team, your driver, your car setup, being able to stay up on adjustments. You know, you saw the Gibbs cars get better all day and, and the, you know, the 20 car come back and finish third. They would have been one, two, three, four if the 18 didn't speed on pit road there, which I probably caused that myself with the 18 speeding on pit road. When you go to a playoff race, hang you on, have hang to have on. a playoff hang day on. there. How did you cause the 18 to speed? Well, it's not confirmed, but when we pitted on the last sequence, we, he had just lapped us and we came to pit road together. And when we dropped the Jack, it was pretty apparent that we were going to beat them off pit road. So I shot my pick on at him and I think it distracted him and he sped. Did you shoot it like, like a Nerf gun? No, nah, just like a, here? just kind of like a fake, like a Uzi. Maybe it might've been sideways. Gotcha. Yeah. And oh. I, I really think it threw him off, kept us on the lead lap for a little bit. So sorry to him. Um, I'll drink a rowdy energy this week to make up for it, but that's my bad. That one's on me. Hang on, hang on. Just because I'm thinking of it, it's so random. Do you guys run nitrogen or compressed air in your gun? 
Nitrogen bottles. Yep. Yeah, you have them. So like, so like last week at Darlington, when you're going to do that many pit stops, you'll have an extra one sitting there. And like after a stop, you might have to switch it because you start with about 2,500 pounds of air. When it gets down below a thousand, you'll switch it. So this week we, we did a lot. Were some guys running helium, I heard? That is something that came up a couple of years ago when we went to a spec gun, but it got ixnade pretty quickly. That's why the guns failed too. Yeah, it, dude. It was sketchy. That was the whole thing. It was like, well, they're giving us these payoli guns and the guns are failing. Meanwhile, you're running helium through it, so it's on you because you're not doing what you're supposed to do. It was a whole thing. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that, that you know, that obviously it's just like the race cars, right? Corey touched on it last week. When you get a spec piece and you've had the best piece, you're going to bitch about the piece that you just got, right? But hey, payoli's done a great job and they'll continue to do a good job for us. But yeah. Could you tell the guys that ran helium because they were talking like this after a pit stop like, <laughs> I, I didn't i tried it in practice and stuff and you know when someone starts doing it everybody follows suit that's just how racing is if they're not going to police it you have to do it and it made me feel weird <laughs> i didn't feel good about it. but but yeah it's something that that didn't make it very long um and they ixnade it which they should have it changed the rpms of the guns substantially it was crazy that's a pit road boats and well early we should get into that section here in a second i wanted to say one thing about the 9-11 stuff to kind of jump back to that real quick and i will give you my civil war reenactment take on things because i was sitting in a field with a bunch of dudes after we dug some trenches how deep were the trenches and they were about three feet deep we, okay. we did pretty good but that's a ditch it's a ditch but it was a long <laughs> an elongated ditch but i'm sitting there and the guys in the company that i was with they were probably Hang on, hang on. I'm still, I still want to ask Civil War questions. Like, do you guys just pick some random guy's backyard to have this battle on, or is it? <laughs> I mean, like, it was, a, it was, a, it was a farm down in Georgia, and like the guy had had an event there before, and like he was cool with it. And I, I really feel like it's just a grown-up man child that wants to go play war in his backyard every once in a while, and like you just that farmer needed a ditch dug. Don't, yeah. don't lie, Chuck. Yeah, this is my yeah, irrigation did. ditch. Y'all just help me out. Now, it's at a funny angle. I don't think it was an irrigation ditch, but it was it was a nice hayfield that we were in. But anyway, so the guy, the, the guys in my company, there were at least five prior service military members in there and a couple of Marines. And the coolest part is there were guys from California and guys from North Carolina that kind of came together. And we're sitting there Saturday taking a break from doing the digging. And these two guys just sort of start talking about their military service. Come to find out that they both served in Iraq in the same time in 2003 they're like oh when you were you there i was there here and here and here oh what unit were you with turns out they were in the same place at the same time on the same fob and like we're starting to talk about captains that they knew and oh this guy was a shithead this guy's pretty cool like they knew the same people they were there at the same time and it was just one of those moments they're talking about all this stuff and i kind of like looked up i was like oh there's a plane in the sky i wonder how oh shit it's 9 11 the coolest part about all of that was that on that day, 20 years later, I'm hanging out with these guys that went and served our country and defended our freedoms and did everything that we asked them to do and more. There was no show to it. There was no hype. There was no like big display of anything. It's just a bunch of dudes hanging out, having a good time. And that was one of the coolest experiences. Watching one, watching them reconnect and figure out that they were in the same place at the same time. And then knowing that my buddy Steve, who was a guy that served and got out in the late 90s and then re-enlisted after 2001, knowing why he served 
Is that your alert? You have to be the front lines somebody in 10 just, minutes? Yeah, somebody just rang the front. <laughs> who is it? Uh-oh. You better jump in that ditch, Chuck, if you <laughs> don't know who it is. They're packing the cannons. Did the Rebel Army find your house? They're packing the cannons, Chuck. You better take cover. Let me wrap this up with, like, I, I lost. I had a great <laughs> line of thought there, and I don't know what I was saying. But it was cool to be out there with them and to know that, you know, on that day, even though I wasn't doing the very patriotic stuff at the track, knowing that I'm hanging out with these guys that – were there boots on the ground it was just a really cool day so i just wanted to throw that out there and not necessarily say hey thank you for your service but thank you for those guys for what they did i think i know where you're going it's all about your freedom and not taking it for granted for sure it's, it's because of guys like that chuck just one example of the tens of thousands of men and women that allow us to go drive around in circles and drink beer and love to be an american each and every weekend so we appreciate y'all and what you do Let's take a quick break. We'll come back with some pit road boats and woes and get this show on the road. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Bite. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. All right, guys, we're back with you love to hear it, pit road boats and woes there was plenty of woes this weekend i myself had two of them not proud to admit it but i did i was going to get them out of the way i think my right rear tire touched the commitment cone which there used to be in places like martinsville and richmond places where the boxes are painted you can run your right sides over they changed the rule a couple years ago i guess so broke the rules a couple stops later sped by 0.02 miles an hour so frustrating night that relegated us to a p29 finish which we probably could have finished 21st second so the pit road woes messed up my day flores pit road woes messed up several people's day definitely being the nine this weekend what happened in that atrocious green flag pit stop yeah so the pit crew guy is not their fault, but it is their problem, right? That's what they always say. The nine car, you're talking about the perfect storm. The nine car comes around, is coming in while the 42 is leaving. So he takes a wide arc into his box, stops deep. I don't know that, you know, some teams have a guy that calls it. I don't know if Chase just threw the car in reverse. Those guys checked off, started pitting the car. I already had the nuts off and the right side jacked up by the time Chase got it in reverse, backed up. What happens to those jacks is they're lightweight, you know, they're they're specific built, and that jack broke. You know, with that load of the car coming back, it broke, and it wouldn't go back down. 
the thing that I take away from this is yes, it was it was a long stop. They were leading. They lost the lead. Ended up leaving, losing a lap, but they controlled the situation very well. Guys like Nick O'Dell and Chad Avert on that car. You watch, you know, Nick right away gets up and goes for the backup jack. Chad keeps the right rear on the car so it doesn't fall off when it's sitting there when it's not on the jack. They take what should have been what could have been you know a minute or or more pit stop just trying to mess with that jack and minimize the damage send them out they don't have a penalty um and and they just lose the time and they eat it that's why these guys are championship guys they had the best average for the race that stop obviously gets thrown out that does not count against the pit crew right the way that the teams kind of break these down or uh, every team's a little bit different but they usually throw anything like over say 20 seconds or 18 seconds every team's different they throw it out but yeah it did not count against them for the mechanics where impact score for the end of the year bonus or for their their race average so they're the best on race average and they're still leading that which obviously put those guys in contention to win all night that uh, essentially took them out of it but so you're saying that a situation like that could have been over a minute it was 36 seconds some people might think that's a long time but you think that it could have been even worse yeah, and I know that it could have been worse, right? I've been in situations with younger guys that panic in that situation, right? And and they'll just be sitting there trying to get the jack out, trying to mess with that. They realized the situation, went straight for the backup jack, came out. Uh, they all worked together to get that jack unlodged from under the car, and they just left with a with you know a damaged rocker panel and and uh, the loss some time. But I've seen stuff like that. I remember a situation you know, with an Xfinity car in California where they lost the lap with a jack issue because you, you, you mess with the primary jack so long, either trying to get it back out or trying to get it freed up that you just don't go grab the backup jack and get it under the, the tailpipes or under the fuel cell to get the other one free. So yeah, it was a, it was definitely a situation that a group that's not a group of veterans or championship guys um, lose their composure and take themselves almost out of the playoffs. For sure. Somebody else, two guys who have are on the outside looking in, both Bush brothers are in the playoffs currently at the moment. And one sped on pit road being Kyle, which probably ruined a one, two, three, four for Gibbs. But Kurt on the flip side had a tough week with his guys with, I think he lost four out of the five to COVID protocols, which jumbled up the entire depth chart over there at Ganassi, which affected my pit crew, which affected the double zeros as well as the 42s. When something like that happens to the one guy in your organization's playoff, their entire pit crew except one guy is sitting out, what do they do after that? So the one pit crew isn't, you know, they're just, they're not just, you know, some pit crew right now, right? They've been one of the best teams on pit road all year, right? And they, you know, they have gotten the one car to where it is. So on days where they're maybe just a seventh, 12th place car, they, they gain him some spots and keep him in contention. When you lose the caliper of guys that are on that car, right? You obviously take the 42 guys and put them right on the one. So they didn't lose much. Hell, they came in the first sequence second and they left with the lead before they had a left rear flat, right? They they busted one off. The car that it affected more is the 42 and then guys like, like you, right? Where you get younger guys on these cars where it's kind of their shot. Richmond is a very, very challenging place to pit. The boxes are really wide and really short. So if you don't bust your ass and get out there, it's really hard to get a read on the car. And then that just slows your whole stop down. I've had issues there when I was younger doing that and still to this day have to have to stay on top of it. But that's something you're seeing more and more. We saw the Gibbs guys struggle with it. Obviously, you and I were out. It's kind of the world we're living in where before you never missed a race, right? Come hell or high water, you put, you know, 
you twist your ankle, ankle's a long way from the heart. You get in there, you know, now you're with, with the protocols and the pandemic, you, you know, it, it's really no new thing to see guys out, to see a whole team out was pretty new, but I felt like they handled that situation well. Um, obviously it trickles down. You probably get the crappier end of the stick just trying to backfill. But yeah, looking to see what happens this week if those guys are come back to Bristol because Bristol's going to be another another big race. And with the 42 speed, you know, there's someone that can come up there and spoil it. If they don't have their pit crew or they're having to use backup guys, it could really hurt their chances as well. For sure, because the 42 is the only non-playoff driver to finish in the top 10 this week, finishing seventh. Oh, Roswick's having a little bit of a run. Unfortunately, he's not in the playoffs but the one Ganassi driver in the playoffs is Kurt Busch on the cut line, not ahead of it, not behind it. He is the cut line tied with Alex Bowman, but I believe he has a tiebreaker. He is plus zero with the tiebreaker. Reddick's five back, not looking good for William Byron and Michael McDowell. Byron is 18 back and McDowell's 38 back. He's an entire race off the cutoff line. What are you looking forward to going to Bristol it's a night race, a lot of pit stops, a lot of brake dust. Uh, what are you looking for specifically going into this weekend? You know, the Bristol night race is one that kind of everybody circles. And the emotions are high all day long, right? The biggest thing here is you want to keep your guy in it all day. Bristol is the number one racetrack for loose wheels. Just because of the vertical load, you never get a break there. You know it. You're gonna. It's gonna. You're gonna be wore out come Sunday morning, right? And the the wheels and the the tires they feel the same way. Everything you see stuff break at Bristol that you don't see break anywhere else, just because the just the demanding load, vertical load, everything is crazy there. So if you have a loose wheel, you will feel it. Also, if you lose track position, it's hard to get back, right? If you have a rough stop, you lose track position. Now all of a sudden you're three or four rows back from where you were then the top doesn't get a good restart or the bottom is get a good restart now you're seven spots from where you just came in the pit so this is a track where you're not going to fool we did win this race just taking left side tires last year in the in the spring but i don't see that happening here at the night race you're going to have to earn your money this week and uh it's a really tough track tight pit stalls the good news here is the guys that struggle usually go down a lap pretty quickly. So you usually have an opening in or out depending on where you pick. With the split pit stalls, man, I or the split pit roads, I don't know how hard it is coming around that corner. We see guys talk about your lights not cutting that corner. You'll see a lot of people speeding there. How hard is that to come around that bend? You're really at the mercy of, you know, whatever engineer, however they plug your lights in because you're only going uh, per se. Let's just say you're going to go. If you have 10 lights on your dash, normally you're going seven green and three red and you can blink one red is kind of where you're going to be a couple of tenths to the good. But at a place like Bristol, when you're setting your lights, usually set half of them green and half of them red. So five and five. So you'll run five green down the straightaways and then pick it up a little bit for the corner, depending on where, what lane you are on pit road. So if you're all the way on the outside, you can pick it up all the reds but there's really a big box there that you can give up a lot of time. If you do happen to pit under green, which doesn't happen a lot of Bristol, you know, a lot of guys speed too, just because you're trying to get all you can in one spot there. Bristol is so important. You know, that's why you do see a lot of uh, pit road speeding penalties there. Cause anytime you put a, a radius into a pit road, it definitely makes it, uh, it makes it tough. And when you have essentially, you know, great pit stalls with the first one on the, the, the back stretch, obviously into three, the, the, all the four ends, it gives those guys that have pit road selections and, and a lot more of an advantage here at Bristol. And like you said, there are going to be more 
cars or less cars on the lead lap, you know, halfway through the race, just because Bristol is so fast and the guys that are uh, in the way it's inevitable. You're going to go a lap down eventually. So trying to stay on the lead lap as long as possible is definitely what we're trying to work for this weekend. So there you have it. Things are getting spicy here on pit road. And, you know, obviously we're all racing to stay in the playoffs, but the mechanics where a uh, picker of the year award, the nine cars leading by quite a bit, but on their heels is someone you never really hear of is the 10 team, right? The 10, the 19, the 48 and the three. So the old Paul Swan, get your tickets. They scrapped in the top five, but that's something that's heating up that uh, that'll be interesting to watch, see how they play out. The way they do that is by your overall pit stop time. Right. So we talked about the, the nine car this week. They'll throw that 30 second stop out, but but also yellow flag pit sequences, how many spots you gain. Right. So this weekend, the 19 was plus seven. Right. They were bet They were better than anybody. But they also got black flagged. And on the first pit sequence, when the competition cost come out, they were like 50th. Right. So they passed five or six cars. Right. Once you get in the top five, you're not going to be plus seven. You're not going to be roasting guys all day. That's just, it's too competitive to do that. So if you get lucky and kind of get back there, it can really affect your score. So uh, we'll see how that plays out and who else heats up, who can catch these nine guys heading down the playoffs. What's the prize for that mechanics square? hundred grand, baby. And a badass trophy. And a badass trophy. Who won it last year? 22 team, our teammates. How many guys on the 22 team remain from that winning team? Everybody except the front tire changer. They have the whole team. So one thing that you don't really factor into is like the Hendrick cars are really good. They unload fast and they have speed. So you're not adjusting on them every stop. Where like the Penske cars haven't had as much speed. So you're looking for balance. So you're doing more adjustments, which in turn, when you're worried about doing adjustments or say you're doing a, like a left side adjustment or a double adjustment, it slows the stop down, right? So if it's a second or a half second slower, it doesn't have an asterisk next to it that said, hey, they did an adjustment, give them a break. It just was slower. That's where you see like the five team has been really good all year. They've had really good cars and they've competed in the top five. They've been on their game. They haven't had to adjust on it a lot and they can just focus on literally hitting lug nuts, sticking tires, run around the car. And all that makes a difference when you're stacking pennies on pit road or on the racetrack. So we'll be looking to stack some pennies this weekend. Hopefully the old, uh, the old deuce is up there. If he's in my way, I'm shipping him. I mean, just tell him. Just go ahead and tell him now. I hope this is the podcast. All right, I'll let him know. Pit Road Boats and Woes. There you hear it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. 
I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Bristol, Tennessee. Bristol, baby. Talk to anybody. There's no need to make a case that Bristol Night Race is one of the crown jewels, quote-unquote. It is a crown jewel. There's no question about it. The electricity is second to none. It fuels the night. It fuels the lights that uh, illuminate the track. Yes. There, I don't know if that's actually how it works, but yes, it could. I mean, electricity does turn on the lights. That That is how electricity works. But the fan energy does not electrify the lights like that no because you know the daytona 500 is the first one so everybody's kind of amped up for that but you know it's a little bit less like jorts and redneck like bristol night race like people come to to bristol night race to party one of my favorite things about the bristol night race and they kind of got away from it a couple years but it's back is the introduction the driver introductions which the people who watch on tv will never get to experience unless you go which i love because i do think that the at track experience should be different and a little bit you know losing a little bit of like the extra little things of the show and bristol introductions when they let the drivers pick an introduction song you walk out the place goes nuts and you just get ready to go for 500 laps so without further ado my song choice, which I thought long and hard about this, is Molly Hatchet, Flirting with Disaster, NASCAR 98. Give me the Nintendo and get me Dale Jarrett Quality Care 88 or give me death. So I will be walking out to Molly Hatchet, Flirting with Disaster. You said that and the first thing I saw was, <laughs> like that, yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, yes, I love that song. And they let you pick like 15 seconds, like, of wherever, like so, like second to second, so it starts. Are you doing the um bop bop yeah? Yes. Yeah. Twenty three seconds in. <laughs> I love that that was on like the John Boy and Billy like rocking racing Dude. songs or something from back in the day. It's the best one. I had that CD that I would put in my car on the way to school, on the way to high school in the mornings. Like, how much of the song can we play on here? Like, like none. Like, I don't think we can play any oh. because I don't think we have cleared anything, but. Fans can like imagine right now that they're listening to Molly Hatchet playing Flirting with Disaster as I'm watching Corey bob his head back and forth. Uh, it is playing. It is playing. You can hear it. You hear it yes. in your head right now. Every single NASCAR well, fan listening to this podcast. Down the road. Can you sing that in my birthday party, Chuck? I'll look and see. We'll try it tonight. Uh, but I don't know. I can't hit that. Hit, hit, hit. The the vo- it'll hurt the vocal cords. <laughs> All right, I, I know I gave y'all a heads up. If you had to pick a walkout song, Chuck, what is yours? I've been going over this back and forth in my head, and like part of me is like I want to pick something weird, like uh, Chuck Mangione feels so good. Hang on, you know some good seventies jazz. Sorry. But 
there was there was probably four or five songs that I had on my list, but you had to take in consideration the audience, right? We are going to Bristol, Tennessee. Now, if I walk out with like an Eminem higher song, like, you know, the people 28 and under might appreciate it, but you got to appeal to the masses. So I felt like flirting with disaster for me appeals to the masses. That's just my my piece of advice for your walkout song. Which is why I wouldn't go with Chuck Mangione, right? Because that's that's like, you know, we carry three songs on this jukebox for profiling purposes, you know? And we got jazz, we got, I forgot what the other two were, but, you know, you got that on there. So so Chuck Mangione's probably out. I feel like, and this is my gut reaction, Walk by Pantera. Ooh. Just because, like, I'd want to go with something that's heavy, that shows, like, I thought about doing another Pantera song, and I'm going to mark it down right now so we can bleep it out, but f- Hostile. <laughs> I just love that song, but I don't think it would play well in uh, in yeah. the in the arena there. But that intro to Walk, like the guitar riff when it's first coming in, that would get me pumped. A couple of them before I let Ryan let me know what his is. Merriman had to go, so we're going to pick his for him. A couple on my list, Enter Sandman, for sure, right? Mariano Rivero's Walkout Song for Ages. Man, what was the other? Oh, the Hulk Hogan uh walkout song yep. Jimi hendrix uh voodoo child the old Woo-hoo. my walkout song when i was an orientation counselor in college was uh serious eye in the sky which is uh by the alan parsons project and you you know this song because it's the bulls intro music okay so like my walkout when they and now chuck bush your orientation counselor <laughs> was uh I feel like like being from Jersey, Skip's going to pick something Bruce Springsteen. Born in the USA? So, no. I am a uh, wrestling fan when I was a kid. So, I always kind of go to that. So, like, when you said Walk by Pantera, Pantera, I thought right away of, like, Rob Van Dam, ECW, which you probably know nothing about. But I have thought about this for Atlantic City and the indoor races as well because they started doing that. And I was doing Snoop Dogg for a little bit because I'm – a gangster but i have come off of that and i believe i'm going to go with the stone cold glass breaking entrance you got to set the tone or jesse james or whatever whatever his name was the road dog jesse james remember him oh you didn't know the yep. badass Billy Yo, better call somebody yeah, oh yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta set the tone when you come out Degeneration. yeah oh yeah I mean, the last time I followed the wrestling was back when Degeneration X was uh, big. Yeah. I haven't quite understood this resurgence in wrestling. I don't get it. It was fun in high school, Bro, but I don't get it now. When was the last time you went in person? Me? Yes. It was, uh, I was 16 years old. It was Raw as War at the old Charlotte Coliseum. It was an amazing thing because they did the Spanish language version before the uh, English version. And I saw like 15 miniature luchadors come out and tackle like one really big guy and i had no idea what was going on because it was in spanish but i was loving every minute of it this is before covid maybe a year before that we went to monday night raw at the hornets arena uh, arena uh, dude arenium it was electric bro so 10 out of 10 recommend now i'm not going to turn on autumn actually i do if i'm scrolling through the channels and i see it i'll just turn it on and see how long it takes for kelly to be like what the hell are we watching dude i do the same <laughs> thing it makes it 12 12 seconds but you go i mean you, you feel like a kid that's just what i mean it makes you feel like a kid when you go oh yeah i mean i may or may not have drank my first 
underage beer in public at Raw is War when I was 16 years old. And this guy behind us was like, y'all boys want to have fun? Here's a beer. It's like, thank you, sir, for contributing to the delinquency of this minor. All right, so we got Ryan's song is uh, Stone Cold Stone Steve Cold. Austin's last break. And, and then we got to pick one for Merriman now that he isn't here. We got to do him justice. So what do you think would be a good one? Oh, see, this is this is fun. I think something like along the Ice, lines of like a, um, three blind mice, you know. <laughs> What's that? You're as cold as ice, willing to sacrifice our love. By Foreigner, yeah. Yeah, I think a for that Foreigner song, Cold as Ice, that could work. Maybe a, yeah. a, a, the My Little Pony theme song, Ooh, maybe? Baby Shark. Oh, yeah, baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think there's a lot of songs that you could come up for Merriman. Yeah. You know, they'd all they'd all serve them good, you know? Now, would you do something, and this would be like a little too like subtle, but like, uh, you know, the Silver Bullet Band. Yeah. Like have something from them because it's the Cold, cold yeah. Mountain Takes. So, I don't you know. know. You know, people aren't going to read the program and think that much into it. So you got you to gotta be pretty yeah. pretty blatant on what, what you're going with. So we'll go with that foreigner, cold as ice. What if you? What if they switched it up one year at Bristol? And I'm going to put this out in the ether so maybe one day it'll happen so that you can pick the song for the other drivers and that's what ha they have to come out to. <laughs> like, like you pull out of a hat? Yeah, yeah. You, it's like a Secret Santa thing, but it's 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 songs for Bristol Walkout. You draw a name, and then you have to tailor the song to oh that driver. Oh, my God. That would get embarrassed. Dude. I've got an idea. How about next year, Bristol Night Race, Chuck, you get the Civil War band that leads you into battle okay. and yeah. come out with the drums and the trumpets, and you march Corey into the Bristol Night Race <laughs> with the Civil War band. On a horse. Well, we could probably pull off, you know, that like iconic painting from the Revolutionary War of the drummer and the fifer with the the bandage on their head. Like we could do that full thing. Like that's full on America right there. And then somebody waving the old glory yeah. with the 13 stars yeah. in the circle. Yes. Yeah. Yankee Doodle comes to town a riding on his Chevrolet Camaro. <laughs> yes. If you ride a horse into that place, man, you're oh, doing it. Hey, how many horses are you going to be riding in that on, in, in that Bristol Night Race? 750 of them. It's yeah. what I'm talking about. God, we're off the rails. Well, we can put it back on the rails and talk about who's going to be off the rails after Bristol. Love the transition, Chuck. Right now we have, like I mentioned earlier, Kurt Busch and Alex Bowman are tied on the cut line. Kurt Busch has the current tiebreaker. So the bottom four, Alex Bowman, Tyler Reddick back five, William Byron 18 back, and McDowell has had a playoff to forget. Um, so out of those couple, Eric Amarola plus three, Kyle Busch plus eight, which he hauls ass at Bristol, so he's going to be good. Eric Amarola, Kyle Busch, Bowman, or Reddick? Who's in, who's out? Right. Man, I'm having a hard time looking at it, right? Like, we're ninth plus 13. And I, I don't feel real safe going in there with stage points. You got to think, you know, with 13 stage points could be evaporated in, in two stages uh, pretty easily. So I don't ever count Kyle Busch out, but they are one more mistake away from, you know, putting another nail in the coffin. And Kurt Busch is good at Bristol, right? And their pit crew's good. They're a good team. Is he Chuck? Yep. I mean, he's good everywhere. He's good at Bristol. He's good there. Look, I'm the third Bush brother. I'm the third Bush brother. Dude, I like Tyler Reddick. I'm not betting against him right now. I don't I don't know. I like that team. 
and I like Tyler Reddick. So he's only five back. This is the tightest I've seen with good cars, you know, in the playoffs. So I think Kyle Busch is going to make a mistake and be Ooh. out, and I'm bumping Reddick up into there. That could be a hot take. So give me your four then. I'm knocking Kyle Busch, Bowman, Byron, and McDowell out. Okay. That's a tough one. but That is a tough one. I will take – ooh. I think for me it's going to be Reddick, Byron, and McDowell are going to be out, even though Reddick does run well there. I think you can swap Eric Amarola and Bowman. I mean, yeah. three points is, is not much, and, uh, you know, we'll see. Here's the thing. Nobody's going to talk to us next week and say that we're wrong, so we just got to go with it right now and stick with it. Chuck, who you got? I mean, I, I think it, it's going to be – close there but i think almirola isn't going to be an i, th- I think reddick ah, see the thing is like with bowman and byron like the 18 points that's a lot to overcome but i can see a hendrick card doing well and winning but gibbs is on such a roll that they may you know go three in a row and sweep this round with the gibbs cars and put Hendrick Carr is kind of in a little bit of a hole there. So, like, Bowman would have to go out – or Byron would have to go out and basically win, right? Correct. Now, I'd be remiss if I haven't noticed a little bit of a lull out of the Hendrick camp. Now, if they would be having anything less left to show and put their, their cards on the table, now would be it. We said that about Gibbs going into the playoffs, and then look where we Did are. Did we say that? I don't think I ever said that. We were kind of saying uh, that, like, they haven't – like, Truex hasn't yeah, done anything in a while. I don't think so. Denny hasn't won all season, and then boom, playoffs start, and Denny hang who on, hadn't won all season wins the first race. I believe race. I picked the eleven to win, Chuck. So I'm not check saying yourself. the whole show, but people, you know, I'm just saying the NASCAR community overall. I don't speak for them. Don't speak for them. Okay, you speak for Corey LaJoy. Yep. I'm not putting words in your mouth. Yep. But I'm just saying, as a talking point in the community, those have been brought up. What kind of nuggets do you have, Ryan? You you always have some sort of statistical nuggets. I don't feel like the Hendrick cars are terrible right now, right? I just think they're kind of brought back to earth a little bit because they were so good. But I also don't think short tracks have been their strong point. The other thing, if you go back and look at the spring race here, you can't compare because it was a dirt race, right? So we have nothing to go off of. So we will see this is always a place where we see, you know, guys like yourself or like a priest run well. We saw DeVendetto almost win this race. So who is going to – and we also see guys miss it. And if you miss it here, with as fast as the lap times are, it's hard to hide, right? You can be a couple laps down and in trouble really quick. The other things we see here, look at – we dominated the first stage with Blaney here a couple years ago and wrecked into Trevor Bain. So you don't know what the hell's going to happen. You don't know. A little yeah. fun fact, Chuck. Yeah. We didn't even pull the decals off our Darlington car. We just turned that thing right around and going to Bristol with Ooh. it. So hopefully that thing well, – we, we can rekindle the magic of that one. Now, as long as we're not bringing the one we had this past week back, I'm good because that one's terrible. And I will say, I think the, the four out are pretty much the same, but I think Reddick's in and Almirola is out, and that's, that's where I am with it. But I will say, to your point about you don't know what's going to happen, we used to use the Bristol uh, – night race to pick our fantasy football draft order like that used to be how we would set up uh you pick a car in that race and because you don't know what it's a bit of it's a bit of a wild card like you can have good averages there you can run real well there but you can also get caught up in something that you can't anticipate like in a snap dude which is why it's a great elimination race dude i agree i love daytona is the playoff or the regular season last race of the year and I love Bristol's cutoff race. 
Love it. Love it. Also Martinsville, like let's go. Should by the time this podcast comes out, probably would be around the time uh, the new schedule will be dropping. I don't know anything about it, but I hope that those three things are kept. That's all that I'm asking. Maybe they will be, maybe they won't be. Speaking of next year's schedule, we had a next gen test down at Daytona this past week. Talked to some buddies down there, being Austin, Dylan, Joey Logano, a couple guys that were down there, spotters. So Ross Chastain was down there. And the general feedback was this, that the cars are hot. Apparently with the, so the headers and the exhaust system are different from the current car. How so? Somebody who might not have seen how the layout is. Now the current headers go underneath the firewall and they connect and go out the right side, both collectively. Now, being that the frame rails are lowered because we don't have truck arms, it allows the driver's seat to get lower and closer to the right. So it's more headroom. So it's way safer. So they had to go headers out the side, right behind the front tires, kind of like a modified, but it has obviously doors and fenders on them. And then it has like these boom tube collectors, almost like a tractor trailer smokestack, if you will, down the sides. What those do is create heat. What they don't do is circulate air well, because now with the next gen floor pan, um, it should in theory be really, it should be a lot better because the air going under the car should be still, you know, clean of sorts and the aero, the aero push won't be as bad. But what that does do is make the car, make the air in the car really stale, um, in which case makes it like an oven. So there was, you know, some talks about internal cockpit temperatures being upwards of 150 degrees, which I can assure you, uh, is what you could probably cook a chicken in for about four hours and be able to eat it. So I'm sure the smart people over there at NASCAR are going to get be getting to work. But in terms of drivability, in terms of drafting, they did a bunch of different drafting and aero packages. They took some spoiler away to try to see if they can make the runs come and go. Uh, but it seems like the car is a little more twitchy with those steering racks that I posted on Instagram. They have to get the valving really more driver specific, but some guys thought it was a little bit fast. Some guys thought the steering's a little bit light. So once they figure out the steering rack versus what we have now, the steering box. Um, so there's just obviously going to be so many different things and, and quirks we're going to have to work through with this new car. Uh, there's a, the next test I believe is at the Roval a couple of days after the one we're there with the cup cars. So that will be our first test is Spire Motorsports. I'm excited to drive that new car, man. I think it looks cool. The profile of it looks cool. The quarter panels are shorter. The roof profiles lower. I think it looks mean, Chuck. What do you think? I think it looks sporty as all get out. And I think when you're there and you actually hear the sound in person and like, it, it's just, it's a different, like the videos, I don't think do it justice like the sound of the race car. Like I just remember going to one of the tests at Charlotte when Kurt was driving it. That may be why I've been picking Kurt because I was anyway. Um, but just the feeling there, I just remember feeling giddy watching it go around and hearing it come into the garage and like, just, just the feel of it, just being there at the track when that was on the track, just, I was like, this is cool. This I think is going to be something special. So that's been a little bit of, um, I guess, topic of ruffles, feathers that the, the fans see uh, or hear videos on Instagram, whatever. They don't sound like that in real life. I mean, they actually sound like a race car. Now, something that NASCAR is trying to do or talking about doing to get some heat out is take, I don't want to call them a smokestack, but on the, the rocker, like along the frame rails are 
you know, six inch wide collectors that the headers go into and then they dump out in front of the rear tires. NASCAR has talked about possibly shortening those up or getting rid of those altogether and dumping them out right behind the front tires, in which case would sound like a NASCAR modified. And anybody who's been to a NASCAR modified race, those things are the meanest center race cars. The ground pounders. Southern ground pounders. So if they whack those mufflers or whatever those things are called off, could get pretty dicey. Now, I will say this. Don't judge it until you see the entire package. And also, don't even judge it in the beginning because it's going to be a work in progress. I, I see a lot of questions about this. What does it look like? So you guys are going to test the Roval, right? What does it look like from your Spire Motorsports team for putting that car together? So we hired one guy to kind of be the one that kind of does it. Now our shop foreman's in there doing it. Like, we run so lean as a team. We have you know, eight or nine guys on my team, eight or nine guys on the 77 team. So there's no extra hands that we can just put over there. Like, I mean, there's been working groups in every big organization with 10 guys putting these cars together. So it's been a, a slow process to get that thing together. We've had it now for four or five weeks and just got the suspension hung on it. We haven't, we just got some body stuff. Definitely makes it hard for a small team that runs lean on, on terms of help and numbers to peel off time or peel off guys away from working on our cars that we're going to the racetrack each and every week with to build something that's, you know, an unknown. So it definitely hasn't made it made it easier by no means. And it also right now it's quite a bit of a financial burden uh, heading into the 22 because really the only things fire bottles and the seat is the only thing that translates from the car we have now to next year. I'm talking wheels. I mean, you've got to get 20 sets of wheels per team at, 1200 bucks to set. So do the math there. Um, each car is going to be somewhere around 300 grand minus the engine when you add in the transaction, all the stuff. So you have to get six or seven cars before you even get to Daytona. Uh, and that's all cash up front. So, you know, it's a pretty big financial apple to take a bite into between now and January or, you know, between now and February 1st to get ready for the next gen stuff. Now, I think that that investment will come back in time if you just factor in the don't have to develop you don't have to pay an engineer to develop a truck arm or rent housings or any of that stuff anymore you just go buy it but right now it's uh definitely had the smaller teams you know being a little bit tight with the pocketbook because it is a lot of money now you guys obviously have a agreement with ganassi with your cars now you know they're changing ownership so that's deal's going to change do they help you with your next gen program at all since they had a next gen car at daytona is there any crossover there or is that done i don't think it's done i mean obviously that we still have a, a pretty good working relationship with those guys we get some cars shuffled back and forth continued for through the end of the year you know i think we will probably have an, a technical alliance with somebody obviously it won't be ganassi because they're not gonna be a race team next year but you know it definitely would help to have your trailer hitched to you know some horse that you know, they have four teams and plenty of engineers that can get a good baseline because being a small team with two cars, you know, and not many engineers, you can get, I think you get behind pretty quick. So hopefully we can hitch our wagon to, you know, to, to a bigger team and, and at least hit the ground running. And that comes with an engine deal and, and stuff like that and pit crews It all kind of goes together. And I'm sure those conversations are being had right now, but it'll, it should be good. I think we'll be all right. Yeah, there's strength in that for bigger teams as well to be able to kind of give you guys stuff that they don't really want to run yet either. So it goes both ways. Well, I think now too the whole pit crew thing of of having to have a depth deeper depth chart more than you've ever had before with protocols and stuff. You want to have 
good feeder teams and guys that you can pull off of a, you know, a third or fourth car and, and put them on the A car if some guys sit out. So that's certainly uh, something the bigger teams are looking at for now. Something that to add there, like I got my first start ever because a guy jumped off the wall and blew his Achilles out, right? If that happens now, you don't have backups at the racetrack at all the way the rosters are. You just have your five picker guys and then your road crew guys so they can pull somebody off of your team and then have a road crew guy that can do it, you know, fill in on your team. So that makes it obviously hurts you, but it helps the team that is uh, that you're, you know, in agreement with. Yeah, for sure. And I think that that goes into the big conversations that are had to try to, you know, lobby and and try to convince a team like Spire to come to a Hendrick per se. That way they can field and get another six guys to develop in, in the pit crew. Um, you know, those are certainly a lot of the, the benefits to having another another car, another team's worth of people to to develop. Depth. There's nothing nothing better than some depth. There's nothing better than some depth. There's also nothing better than the questions that y'all continue to send in and ask me for a penny for your thoughts, Chuck. We got some good ones this week. What you got? We got a couple of good ones. This one comes from the Juice Seven, and uh, that's Joshua Sky. He says, "The joy of seating, Bob Ross is the joy of painting, genius or coincidence." Definitely a coincidence because <laughs> I don't think Big Rand's watching Bob Ross painting. He should have. Okay. Great, okay. Great okay. I like this one because I've, I've talked about this with somebody in, in the past about like a where are they now type thing. Yeah. So this one comes from Mick Doug Clemson. I assume that he is a Clemson fan. Probably. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but how is Buckshot Jones doing? Oh, have we not talked about it on here? I don't know if we have. I listened to that podcast the other day. I was hoping that you would ask me that because I had a lot of people ask me like after Buckshot was on with, on Dale Jr. Download because – dad does not like him like there is like some deep down just not not hatred is not the word he just doesn't like him and you know i think i'm like what do you mean that was 20 years ago like nope don't like him i don't think it's talked about how you know buckshot jones was the original how do i say this with the most respect possible the original rich kid to come buy a ride like woke up one day told his dad he wanted to be a motorcycle rider. His dad like, yeah, you know what? Son's kind of dangerous. Let's just go race cars. He went and hired the best people. Three of the guys that were building engines for Buckshot Jones's team run Hendrick's engine shop right now. So those are the quality of people that Buckshot Jones had to build his race cars. And I think that some of the discontent or some of the, you know, whatever the word you wanted to use that dad has for Buckshot is that he just didn't know the etiquette. And Buckshot, you know, still like doesn't really know what he did. I think what rubbed dad the wrong way so often is that he just didn't know the etiquette because he didn't have to. He just bought a ride and came in and ran around in circles. So I could not ask my dad how Buckshot Jones is doing because he could care less. I asked him this week. I had this conversation this week, yesterday. He said, he didn't know. He wasn't no racer. Uh, he just bought his ride. <laughs> Good gimmick, though. That's what he said. Good gimmick. He had the nickname down for sure. All right, here is another one, um, and I'm just going off of memory from this, and I can't because I can't remember where I saw it, but I know it was a Corey LaJoy hashtag penny for your thoughts. If you could have any job other than race car driver, what would it be? Um, probably a starting pitcher for for the minor leagues. Now I say that because a I threw out the first pitch at a Cannonballers game last week. Piped it right down the middle, Chuck. You've been proud. And also, they they make a lot of money. Um, 
So yes, if I had to pick a job, that certainly would be it because that'd be pretty cool. You threw it from the ladies' tees, dude. They wouldn't let me go to the bump. <laughs> they would yell at me, and I'd have got I some mean... poor PR girl in trouble. So I wasn't trying to be that guy. I threw it in front of the bump. Yes, it was a lady tease, but you know, still had some mustard on it. So they wouldn't let you go, like stand on the mound, kick up a little bit of dirt behind that. Oh, old, I wouldn't. Uh... <laughs> oh, but yeah. they, they wouldn't. Uh, the the girl the girl was probably you know 19 intern there was like please don't go on the mound i was like you sure i can't go on the mound i, I would get in trouble uh, okay fine. is the mound like a sacred place for baseball like for pitchers no, it looked like a samurai zen like it had you know the perfect little circles ah, around yeah. it like they didn't want me up there you know putting my putting my boots on so it's it. the ground keepers it's not the pitch the actual pitchers no, it's no, the ground yeah. keepers yeah they they probably wouldn't have taken now they probably wouldn't have done anything they probably wouldn't have kicked me out but i, I didn't want to be that guy i don't want to like a nascar like a nascar race when they've got the the all the security guys around the logo at the 500 or something yeah like that. yeah for sure don't walk I on tried the to grass. Give him, i was trying to give him hell next time he might pack a chaw and go stand at second base and throw from there <laughs> I'm going to go to center field and launch it as far as I can. Yeah, I can throw this year ball clear across that 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 plate. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there was one, Chuck, you you breezed over. Now, I, got, I still have a couple more things I want to get to here by the end of the yeah. show. But at JRYAK36 says, how many seltzers before one must discard his man card? That was, I w- I, that was coming up next. Uh, that, it's right there at the end. But, yeah, how many how – many, how many man cards? Let me tell you this. I will let you keep my man card as collateral while I drink some Vizzies. I'll take it back afterwards. But anybody who hates on the Vizzies hasn't tried them. They are the, a refreshing beverage. And also, after about seven of them, you're a little bit dinged up. And you also don't feel like you just drank a loaf of bread sitting in your stomach all day. I can go into some, you know, I'm allergic to gluten and this and that, which would be a lie. I just like the taste of Vizzies. They taste great. Hey, if you enjoy it and it brings happiness to you, do it. You know, have fun with it. Yeah. And like that, like why, why you got like, I love a good PBR. Me too. And I love a good, uh, I love a good, love a good Bush latte. IPAs, love them. Yeah. Yeah. I don't discriminate when it comes to the alcohol consumption. I'll say this to David. I can't say his last name. But your man card gets revoked more if you throw the first pitch out from 10 feet away from the mound <laughs> than it does drinking a seltzer. Facts. Now, if you throw the first pitch out, then you go drink a couple of Trulies, then it definitely gets pulled for the hey. week. But I did not. I drank some Reptar Juice IPAs, so I had to offset it. I love the fact that uh, Liam also asked uh, what your Bristol walkout theme would be. And Liam, we answered that question earlier in the race or in the race <laughs> earlier in the race let's go back to our pit road boats and woes no um yeah i can't talk good today well let's let's go ahead since you can't talk good let's just go ahead and talk about the penny stacker of the week this was a segment that we did on a hit or miss but i want to bring it back because there have been fans that are continue to blow my mind and show me support and the show support each and every week the penny stacker Singular, but there will be plural because I have a story for you too as well. Uh, is LaJoy Fan7 on Instagram? Uh, I don't know who that is. He's an anonymous account. He's got my face on it. He is a super fan. So continue to support, appreciate it. Uh, subscribe, rate, review, all the stuff. He's even got in his in his bio new stacking pennies podcast every Wednesday. So LaJoy Fan7, you're the penny stacker of the week. Little funny story, Chuck. Landed early on Saturday, driving to the track. I pull in. I usually park in the DO lot, just like park my car, rental car up against the fence. That way I can walk there and zoom out. I don't have a bus, but it's just nice, cozy spots to park. 
And I'm sitting there, I'm listening to my Joe Rogan podcast or whatever, shooting some emails. And off in the distance, right, there's a long deal lot at Richmond. Towards the very back, on the other side of the fence, there's a row of campers, like fan campers. Flying high and proud, there's an American flag with a seven Corey LaJoy flag available at CoreyLaJoyRacing.com slash merch, by the way. Flying in the breeze, sun setting, beautiful sight. I said, you know what? I've got six hours to kill. Actually, the sun wasn't setting. That was just for the theatrical effect. So I drive over there. I just pull up. I say, hey, man, nice flag. And there's like six or seven guys out there hanging out, a couple young ones, a couple older guys. And the guy's name's David. Didn't know him, never met him. He listens to the podcast, said he listened to Stacking Pennies on the way from Maryland, his drive over to Richmond. So it was a good conversation, man. I just stopped and talked to him for about 45 minutes and talked about how just life and why he liked me and all this sort of stuff. It actually was pretty good. So, David, I appreciate you and the support of the podcast. One interesting thing I got out of that conversation. I've always wondered, like, I've always appreciated fans spending the real honest earned money to come watch this work on the weekend, just drive around in circles. But I've never known, like, roughly, and I get that it moves, it fluctuates a little bit no matter what the race is. But going to Richmond, I asked the guy, what's it cost to leave your house, to go to the grocery store, to fill the truck up, to go buy tickets, to pay for the camping parking. He said it's about 2,400 bucks. Split, give or take six ways. That's 400 bucks a person. With that being said, I appreciate everybody who spends their hard-earned money coming to watch us each and every week because there was a ton of people in Richmond and I know all those people are spending their hard-earned money on whether that be merchandise or tickets or hot dogs. And what do you got, Chuck? Well, I was going to say there's a way that race fans can make a little bit of that money back if they uh, want to get you know that cool twenty five grand on the jackpot races. You know, free to enter. You could go to ten races if yeah. you win one of those. It doesn't cost you any money to enter, and you could win some free money. So you know, I I thought that might be a good transition there to get into the jackpot races. That was a great transition. Let's knock it out. You are a pro it's like i do this for a living but i suck at it anyway um here <laughs> group one uh bristol motor speedway best finish group one kyle larson denny hamlin kyle bush chase elliott ryan blaney or joey logano larson hauled ass here in the 42 each and every time he showed up so it's gonna be hard not to hammer the five this weekend i'm going with the defending race winner dirt or asphalt joey logano he's good here they're hungry. Yes. I think uh, uh, I'm I, I, mm, Kyle Bush, 18. Now, do I have to remind you guys that we are trying to help? <laughs> right. I know. I know. If I, know. I legitimately I had to pick somebody, like legit collectively, I would probably, like, if I was betting on it, I would go with the nine. They are strong here and they won a couple of races here last year. That's true. They won the All Star race last year. All right. Group two, what you got? Group two, you've got William Byron, Martin Truex Jr., Kevin Harvick, Alex Bowman, Brad Keselowski, and Kurt Busch. You're going to pick the one, so I'll pick the one as well. You're not going with the one? I was going to go with the two, actually. All right, let's just go with the two. I was not – I was not, and that's not like, uh, you know, Merriman. I, you know what I didn't go with the two? You know, I just don't know about that front tire changer. <laughs> <laughs> somebody's hey. got to say it man. somebody's got to take up the slack <laughs> i think hey look seriously i think our team is super strong we haven't really found a great balance that brad loves but it's a track where he stays in it all day right he might not have the most stage points but he's always there at the end and that's a huge thing at bristol to be in it at the end 
and uh, not take yourself out of it. So I'm excited to go there this weekend and uh, try to punch our way into the round of 12. And I just love his uh, driver intro stuff there from Bristol in the past. I think it's some uh, some some gold, you know, <laughs> his, his comments on Kyle Busch. Group three, because that's fun meters pegged right now. Chuck, let's finish this thing. Mine is close. Uh, Christopher Bell, Tyler Reddick, Eric Amarola, Michael McDowell, Austin Dillon, and Matt DiBenedetto. Who was the first guy? Christopher Bell. I don't know. Reddick, let me help you. I'm going eight car. Yeah. Okay. I like the eight uh, car there, too. Yeah. I think he's won an Xfinity race there. He's always he's always good. But, man, it's so easy to slip a right rear and get into the fence here at Bristol, especially I'm concerned about how dirty the track's going to be. I'm sure it's not going to have dirt on it, but it's not. It's going to be sandy. It's not going to have a lot of grip to begin with, so it's going to take a little while to get that top worked in. I was up there last Thursday shooting some scenics for the uh, little hype videos that we're working on on NASCAR.com. You can check those out. There'll be one out this Thursday, I believe. Maybe Friday. I don't know when they actually release it. I should know that because I work for NASCAR.com, but I don't off the top of my head. But... You could see the pressure washer marks on the track where they had uh, wiped off the dirt, and there's still a little bit of lingering dirt in the lower seats in the stands. So they've done a great job getting that track turned around and ready to go. And just being in there in an empty track, it you could feel it. You could feel the energy on Thursday with no fans in the, stand, in the stands. So Saturday night with fans in the stands, elimination race, it's going to be a wild one. I, I cannot wait, bro. The, I, I hope the fans show up and bring it because the show's going to be great and it's the first full capacity bristol night race we've had in over two years i believe so why not really buckle down and get after it when you got the trucks there on thursday you've got xfinity friday and you've got cup saturday night trucks that's their elimination race as well so a lot Ooh. of action in thunder valley a lot of action in Thunder Valley. So there, there you have it. That's Stag and Pennies. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate y'all. Subscribe, rate, review, all the good stuff. And keep yelling at me. Stag and Pennies of the race. You might be the Penny Stagger of the week. Bye.